0: Alright, good morning everybody. Alright, Mark 8, we're going to do Mark 8 today. Uh, if you take a look at that little outline, I, at the end of Mark, I just, I didn't even write anything down. If we have time. because I heard last week that you, I think you went through one one story. Alright, so just a reminder, we're not reading the Bible because we're listening to the Bible. So, Max McLean is uh, continuing his uh interpretation of the gospel of mark his storytelling. So this is mark 8 and you know p- you know kind of pay attention to how he portrays the disciples um even like how he portrays the pharisees the um you know obviously jesus too and his mannerisms what is he telling us with his body language body language um yeah i think that's it. All right. Okay, great. So if you have your Bibles, you can obviously turn to Mark chapter 8. Um, so, he, uh, so what do you think of his uh, interpretation of Mark chapter 8? Anything that stands out? Or not? He's sweaty. That stood out. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, the other part is he, uh, he really rushed through that feeding story, didn't he? He spoke very quickly. And, uh, which I actually think is a, is a good, that's, that's probably good. Um, his interpretation, though, you're really getting a specific image of the disciples right now, right? Um, and, but you're also getting a very specific image of who Jesus is as he relates to the disciples, which is... Um, yeah, you know, so that that's that's kind of interesting because that's actually what's happening in the gospel of Mark, Holly.
1: I felt like he was portraying Jesus as slightly confusion.
0: Y- yeah, right. Yep. Um yeah, he was you know, did he not get it yet? Aaron.
1: Um, hearing him actually say it and the timing of Peter Peter being like the Christ and then I just about
0: how, right away, then. how fast it was, yeah. How
1: quickly then? He's the correct the, the, the person. Just said Christ. Right. I already knew
0: that. Yeah. yeah well. Yes. Yeah. So. So part of it's Mark. He's just he marks fast. Um, but also part of it is the. The um, well. Way back when I don't remember the comic uh, the comic writing that we had our first our first Bible study this. Marks the end of the first kind of half of the gospel mark, and this is kind of the culmination of it. It depends on where you put it It's either the culmination of the first part or the beginning of the second part you know i don't, I don't think that really matters, but um so what you have is this state true statement you are the christ and um, but and that's really been working. Through the entire first half of the gospel, um, people after the miracles like, "Who is this guy?" You know, teaching with authority, and who is this guy? Who is this guy? So there is this identity question about who is Jesus, and we get the answer now. Jesus is the Christ. However, that's not that's not necessarily so profound, because um, you know people are waiting for the Messiah what's the most profound aspect is when Jesus says, well, this is what the Messiah will do. He's going to go to Jerusalem. That makes sense for everybody in the Old Testament. The Messiah will go to Jerusalem. He will take his proper seat on the throne. But Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, I'm going to go there and show my divine power by suffering and dying. Now, so that's that's the that's the rub for Peter then. It's like, oh, wait, wait. You got that wrong. Um, and so that's that's kind of the point, though, about Jesus at this point. This this culmination too of Jesus trying to show who he is to the disciples, and of course they don't they don't quite get it. And so yeah, it's not out, outside the realm of possibility that Jesus was impatient with the disciples. But even in his impatience, he there's some words that are very important in this section about how he's still very hopeful, even though he's impatient. Yeah, I, always, I always think about Jesus. Uh, so I, I played basketball, played athletics growing up. I'm a supporter of athletics. Um, for this one or one of these reasons, I, I remember when my high school basketball coach, I was kind of a younger, I was a sophomore, I think. He used to ride me so hard, man. I was like, oh, gee, he used to yell at me all the time. And I think he, he he realized that you know it's like you know it's kind of like man every time he talks to me he's like I I did something wrong again. Um, he said, Marcus, the day I stop talking to you is the day you got to worry. That's the day that you have to be afraid. Do never never be afraid of me yelling at you. And I've always thought about that. I'm like that's true. I think that's Jesus. He uh, um, he never stops with the disciples. You know, even though he's, like, and I, I kind of I like the way he kind of uh, asks that final question about, like, do, do you still not get it? You know, like, he's, like, he had that pause, you know, and he said, and then there was, like, he's, like, looking at him, like, okay, right, got it? Um, because Jesus doesn't, he stops talking to the Pharisees, and there's a point where no one would ask him any more questions. And he, he stopped. So, um, even though in his you know possible impatience, he's still very hopeful for the uh, disciples themselves as being faithful you know followers of Jesus. Okay. Um, yeah, but but again, so Peter's then Peter's kind of instant change from confessing truth to going against God's will. Um, also, then demonstrates how there is a growth in understanding. And we actually see that with the blind man. So we'll, we'll come to that in a second. Those two stories are kind of contrasting. So you have the blind man who needs two healings in order to see. And then Peter also needs several healings in order to see. So he sees, but not completely. So he sees Jesus as the Messiah, but not completely gets that. Um, just like the man who was blind. He's not completely blind, right? He sees people who look like trees. He, he sees something now. He's, he's no longer blind. But does he see fully? No. So Jesus, again, lays hands on Jody. When
1: he says, you see Jesus. Right. Is he... I don't
0: I understand. Yeah, rebuke is a very strong word in the Gospel, Mark. It's usually reserved for demons. Jesus rebukes demons. So it is a um, kind of like go to hell kind of statement. Well, for demons, it's proper. That's where they should go, right? <laughs> but to Jesus, but to say to Jesus, that's not a good place to be in. So, um, So then that's what... Jesus does back to him, right? Oh, so why? Yeah, so why? It's because well, there's a variety of reasons. One could be a personal reason. Because as a disciple, the disciple goes the way of the master or the way of the rabbi. So if Jesus is saying, I'm going to go die die and suffer, that's what they're going to do. You know, maybe that's not what they like, you know, they might have signed up for. So like, how dare, you know, it could be like, how dare you say that? I thought we were going to do this. You know, and I spent my last three years with you, and it's all for nothing. You know, you could imagine someone saying that, right? You know, almost to the point of like you lied to me. Um, or, or it could be Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. That's not the way. That's not the way that the, the Bible talks about. Yeah. So you don't you don't know what you're talking about. So it could be both of those together. I would think most likely, because that's kind of the most normal response. How dare you do this? You know, you think about it, right? Because um, his popularity has been growing. He's, he's uh, you know, done all these healings, and he's t- taught with authority, and then um, the miracles, you know, like the feeding miracles, and, and walking on water. So, you know, Peter's probably thinking, hey, this... this yeah, we're, we're yeah we're gonna kick, yeah right power and glory kick butt, but Jesus says the exact opposite. I'm going to show my power in weakness. I'm going to show my my strength in suffering. And so, um, especially if you, th- you think about too the Old Testament, there's parts where, um, you know, in the Psalms and some of the prophets where God's going to vindicate Israel. He's gonna. It sounds like he's going to kick butt. So it's it's not like out, outside the realm of possibility that Peter would have been like, hey, wait a second, that that's not exactly what the Old Testament says. Now, of course, for the Gospel of Mark, um, his kind of notion of the Messiah is heavily dependent upon the book of Isaiah, which, um, what parts of Isaiah? The, the suffering servant parts, the parts we hear like on Good Friday, um, by his stripes we, you know, be healed. You know, think about the Holy Week hymns, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. So, so that there is this biblical narrative about how power will be shown in in this suffering servant. But, um, you know, whether that's, that was them or if that, that applies to Jesus. Because there's a uh, you know line of interpretation that said, well, the suffering servant was the nation of Israel, so we've already been through that. You know, we're we're thinking about Isaiah 25, which is actually in the background of the feeding stories. On this mountain, I will prepare a feast for all nations. You know, wine, food, all these. You know, so they're thinking about the kind of end times picture happening with Jesus where there will be no more, you know, the wicked will be thrown into hell and the righteous will be. But Jesus is... is um, he, he's, he's, he's saying that, but he's also he's pointing to how this will happen through the uh, compassion and mercy and forgiveness of sins, his death and resurrection. Nancy.
1: I feel kind of sorry for the... Um disciples, because I sort of understand that their culture was telling them that when the Messiah comes, he's going to come with an army and he's going to just you know, right. Turn everything wonderful here. You know. And so the, their culture had given them this idea. I mean, and I've seen how a lot of times when you have these in, indoctrinated kind of cultural ideas, it's really hard to change them. I, mean, yeah, right. I saw this in, in Africa in some aspects, and I know it's true in our culture, too. Right. When something comes up that just doesn't quite fit in with the way you see the world, it takes a while
0: before thinking continues. That's right. Uh, that's exactly right. And that's exactly what's happening with the disciples. And Nancy's absolutely positively correct. There is a progression of understanding, an unveiling of who Jesus is. And it's actually not until the resurrection. In um, Mark 16, I think it's verse 6, six and 7. You know, they go to see Jesus, right, and he's not there. And the man in the tomb says, go to Galilee, and then you will see Jesus. Well, this idea of seeing is not simply, hey, I see Nancy, you yeah, know, I see Kathy. It's, it's seeing Jesus for who, who he fully is. So you're finally getting the full story. And that's when Jesus says, do you not yet understand he says this early in Mark 6, and he also says it here in Mark 8. Not, this, not yet means it leaves out this open door of, like, you will get it, but just not yet. And, and, and so And then in, in Mark 9, at the transfiguration, Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, don't talk about this until I rise from the dead. See, all, all up until now, to chapter eight, Jesus is, like telling people to be quiet, like you can't talk about this. There's a squelching of who Jesus is, and for like Christians, you're kind of like, wait a second, Thought I was, you know, I'm supposed to go tell, you know, preach the gospel. I'm supposed to go tell people about Jesus, right? So you're like, well, wait, a what's going on here? Well, Jesus isn't isn't necess- he, he's basically saying you you can only talk about me if you actually see me. You, you, you see who I fully am. And that's not until you experience the resurrection. Now, of course, then in our Christian lives, how do we experience the resurrection? And that's the death, death and resurrection that we experience in baptism. And that's what we have in the Gospel of Mark. It starts with baptism. It doesn't start with an infancy mar- uh, narrative, like Jesus being born. It starts with Jesus being baptized. And so at the end of the Gospel, we go back to the beginning now with understanding who fully Jesus is, and we re- re- redo it. Okay, was there another hand up somewhere? Oh, Krista, yes.
1: Yeah, um, uh, Jesus never really, really talked about the Old Testament, no? where he is uh, mentioned.
0: Yeah, well, see, that's, that's uh, in the Gospel of Marks, this is a good question, because this relates to what I want to start out with. So, in the feeding stories and the Pharisees, there is a background, uh, if uh, kind of a uh, fabric of Old Testament stories in the background. And this is important for us to kind of think about because the gospel, Mark the writer is not, he, what, what he does, and this is basically all the gospel writers and pretty much all the New Testament writers, you see this also in, the, in Hebrews especially, is that, you have this this life of jesus you have this kind of this person who's lived this life and the question is how how do you make sense of him how do i interpret him how do i see him well for first century jews is the only way you see anything in the world is through god's word through the old testament so they 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 like they are they are looking So Mark, the gospel writer, is looking at Jesus through this lens of Holy Scripture. This is how he sees things. So if you see Jesus, you know, uh, feeding 4,000, you don't say, oh, this is just an amazing miracle. You say, wait, this is, he's fulfilling what happened in Exodus 16, the manna story, or in Numbers 11 with the quail. You have the prophecy, there's a prophecy about someone like Moses who's going to come. You have somebody who's acting like Moses, but not as a mediator between Moses, you know, has to talk to God and then, then things happen. Jesus just does it himself. So what, and this is part of the, the struggle with the disciples in the Gospel of Mark. It really has to do with how you interpret the Old Testament. The only way you can interpret the Old Testament is through Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's really getting the Old Testament. So he's frustrated with the disciples. It's like, hey, you shouldn't... Okay, so uh, when Jesus asks... It's like five or seven questions in the ESV. I forgot to look in the Greek, but... um, he just rattles all these questions off from like... uh, I think I might have wrote it down. Um... Oh, I didn't. But I'm gonna erase that. But it's 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 Mark eight fourteen through twenty one. There's at least like seven or eight questions that he asks just right in a row. Boom, 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 boom. And Jesus is like, he's he's asking all these questions because they are talking. They're thinking about bread. They're thinking about a loaf of bread. Rather than thinking about, huh? We, we, just, we just experience the bread of life, God himself. So what's happening is Jesus is not, he's not so bent on this literal piece of bread. Because first of all, it doesn't make sense. He, I have no bread, but oh yeah, we got a loaf. Anybody ever think that, was, that makes no sense to me? They have no bread, they have a loaf. Well, what is it? Do you have bread or not? Um, and now some people will be like, oh, well, they don't have enough bread they were just they were they weren't going for like a week you know up in you know door county i mean they're just going i mean they had enough bread yeah. okay so it's not about this kind of his history like facts it's about understanding what they mean and so jesus in the gospel of mark is trying to help us understand what they mean and so the bread the bread that's the most important, that is enough for them. And what Jesus is like, why are you talking about bread? I'm here. I'm the bread of life. He's echoing what happens in John 6. But there's also another thing that's happening here. In Matthew and Luke, when Jesus goes into the desert, what is the, the first temptation? Bread. And what does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by everywhere that comes. This is Jesus, is, Jesus is the one now, so they failed the test. They've been in the wilderness, and they didn't get it. But Jesus does, so that's, that's our hope. Okay. Um, and that's why he's like, do you not get it yet? What, what's interesting in the Gospel of Mark is the, the, the things that happen in Matthew and Luke, especially in the desert also happen in the Gospel, Mark, but not in exactly the same way. The same lessons are, are still taught. So you don't have Jesus saying to Satan, man does not live by bread alone. But you do have that in the Gospel, Mark, in this circumstance. So um, this is where when we think about our own life. So so the disciples asked this question about... Um, Well, when they ask, you know, where in the world, you know, how in the world can we get bread? You know, who's going to be able, who's able to do this? Well, first of all, that's a silly question because they just said, well, and they just, he just fed 5,000. Now, again, this, again, this is very important for us because they are exemplifying exactly what happened with Israel in the wilderness. When Okay, so the crossing of the Red Sea happens in Exodus 14. Kind of a big deal, right? Exodus 15, you got people singing and dancing. It's it's, And then Exodus 16, you got people complaining about not eating, not having bread. How are we going to get bread out here? Okay, right. You just, didn't you see God happen to uh, just, you know, part the Red Sea? Maybe we should ask him. Um, the disciples act in the same way. So this is, again, the, Mark, the gospel writer, is, is saying, the only way I can understand this is through this Old Testament story. And the only way that this makes sense for me personally is if I tell it through the Old Testament story. And so when the disciples ask this question, who's able to feed us? That, that should be our question, too. Who is able to feed us? This is a question we should ask every day. Who is able to feed us? But not the stuff that is just bread for our bodies, but the stuff that is going to feed us and give us e- eternal life. Barb? I think that also
1: exemplifies us.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and it was
1: when, the, when he showed, when he made that pause. I and mean, that's what I thought about when he paused. It was like, Okay, this happens every day. It's it's like he is so patient with us because he's saying, oh, here
0: you go again. You've got this
1: picture. You've got all this. And here you're complaining or you don't see this. Right. Why aren't you doing this? But he lets you work it out. He lets you do it,
0: not that Well, yeah, he never forces you. That's right. Yeah, he never forces you. And and this is really important for us to, to see that is that so it's about seeing who's present. And this goes back to then the Pharisees. Give us a sign. That
1: one's in front
0: of well, there's a there's a variety of reasons why that question is silly. See
1: a sign? Well, yeah. Right, right, right.
0: right? Did you? I mean, have you just not heard about everything that's just happened? So it's a silly question because there's been plenty of signs. But again, Mark is actually not necessarily pointing to those stories, but he's actually, uh, what's underlying these questions? And that brings us back then to um, the desert wanderings when people ask the Lord for a sign. And, well, God gets mad. And it's Meribah and Massah i I think Meribah means coral? Well, it, it's uh, from Exodus 17, uh, Exodus 17. It's not the bitter water one, but that is... It's spelled differently. Yes. So this is where I should remember my Hebrew pronunciation, but I don't. Yes. But the whole point, though, is that the very end uh, of that uh, Exodus 17 section is where... Uh, they wondered if God was pr- with them. He was upset because they wondered if God was in their midst. I think that's how it says. Okay. What are the, the freezers are asking for a sign, and Jesus is what? In their midst. God is in their midst. So this is the sadness of our, this is kind of the tragedy of our life. God is with us. Emmanuel. But yet we, we, we don't see him. So what Mark is helping us with is that every, as Barb said, every day we have to wake up and say, hey, God is with us. Hey, this is good. We're okay. God is present. What the Gospel of Mark also does then is that because God is with us, what does that mean then? And this is where we come back to Peter's confession. He's thinking if God is with us, we're not going to go to Jerusalem and get crucified. If God is with us, we're going to go to Jerusalem and kick some butt. She says, "No, that's that's not what that means. It means that I am with you even in the midst of suffering, and that your resurrection or your vindication will come after death." And so, because you have a bunch of people now, think about historical. This is way back when in our first one, first lesson. Who are the first hearers of this gospel? They're people being persecuted, so they're questioning, like, "Is this worth it?" I mean, wh- wh- why should I follow Jesus if I'm just going to get killed? So, they have to, they have to, so Mark's, is this is his answer to that question, the whole gospel. <laughs> um, and that's why he uses the Old Testament because he's showing this is what God has been saying for thousands of years already and that this is not something brand new. Aaron. Aaron.
1: Like whenever I've gone through something hard, it's like and then I'm asking these questions like, how does this work with God loves me? It's like I want the sign that I want that God loves me. Right. So it's like I want him to show me he loves me in this particular way. Yeah. Um, and it, it's sort of like what I was thinking you talked a few weeks back about um, like where the, fair, the who is it, the chief priest say to Jesus, if you're the Christ and come down. Right. It's like, if you're really God, if you're really powerful, and the question I'm asking, you know, if you really love me, and
0: yes, told my him,
1: then do this. Right. But, but then the irony is that, like, we ask him to come down from the cross to show that he's all these things. Right. And it's like, I do the exact same thing. And I'm like, God, if you really are God and love me, right. do this. But then, like, we talked about how the irony is that then. Like the centurion sees the way he dies mm-hmm. and says, "This is the Christ."
0: Right. So it's like the very
1: fact that he doesn't come down from the cross it's yeah. actually that he's the Christ, that he loves us. Right. You know, it's
0: like... Yeah. It's it's a it's a very it's a very difficult thing to believe. Yeah. The um, this also goes to the reason why Jesus is not going to give a sign to the Pharisees, and because he's not going to give a sign because their hearts are hardened, and they belong to this generation. It's kind of code language. This generation conjures up uh, the generation of Noah. That's like a code word for the time of the generation of Noah. So this generation means evil generation. So the Pharisees are lumped with the evildoers, and no amount of signs will be enough for this group. There will be nothing that Jesus can do that will change their mind because their hearts have been hardened. And you see that then, of course, in the crucifixion. Where these same people say, "Hey, get down the cross, then we'll believe." Well, it's it's it just it's another sign of how their hearts are completely hardened to what's happened. Because what's funny is they put him there. If they didn't want him on the cross, why did they put him there? So, um you know, so that's the sad thing about the tragedy of all this is that... Well, it, it's tragedy because, you know, uh, life with Jesus is better than life without him. The the aspect, too, about the disciples is that they're, they're kind of like on this brink now. Because you've got a question at the end. Like, are they part of the outsiders or are they part of the inner circle? Because when Jesus says, hey, don't you perceive, don't you see, don't you hear... He's, he's, he actually said this earlier Mark chapter 4. He actually says, I speak in parables because, so that those with eyes can't see and those with ears can't hear. Well, at that point you're thinking, well, that belongs to somebody else besides the disciples, but now you're wondering, is, is even the disciples don't get it? Like, is, is faith actually exist in the world? And so, but of course, Jesus says this word, Yet. And then, right after this section in, in, in the Transfiguration, he says, "Well, you'll say this in the resurrection." So we're all, we got foreshadowing now that Jesus will actually do something, you know, to these disciples and for these disciples. Um, but it's it's going to take uh, a, a, it's going to take some progress, some uh, and and so that's so that leads in right then to the uh, blind man. You know, I don't know if anybody... It's an odd story, isn't it? The, the blind man. Yeah. Jody.
1: So, is, he, is yet being said that he,
0: he wants, he does Yeah, no, you're right. Go ahead and say it. Is,
1: when he says not yet, is it because he's not revealing everything yet? Or is it because he thinks the disciples should have gotten it by now and they don't get it yet?
0: yeah. Right, yes to both of those. Um, it, it, primarily the first one, but at the same time, Jesus already knows that he's ha- he has more than to reveal. So, it, it, when he predicts and says, "Hey, I'm going go to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die and rise after three days," he, he's already he's already telling them that there's going to be more to this.
1: That's after he's done all this.
0: Well, right. So, so he is, I mean, at this point, he, he's thinking, yeah, you should, you should get this because you should know your Old Testament. I mean, I'm fulfilling all these things that everyone has been waiting for, for, you know, thousands of years. And it's here. Why don't you see it? But at the same time, you know, uh, Jesus isn't done with the gospel. You know, there's still eight chapters left. So if Jesus were to say this in Mark 16 at the very end, that would not—that would be bad news. You don't get it yet? You're like, what else? What else can he do then? Like besides, you know, rising from the dead? This goes back to Aaron's point: is that then nothing can be done for them? We hear that also in the Gospel of Luke with the poor man, uh, the 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 Lazarus and the rich man. The the story. You know, there's a rich man, but there's a poor man, Lazarus, who sits, you know, outside the door, and the dogs lick his wounds, and then they die. And there's this chasm between the rich man and Lazarus is with Abraham, and Lazarus says to Abraham, "Oh, my family's still, you know, alive. Got to tell them." And Abraham's like, "No, they have the, they have uh, Moses and the Prophets. I think he says, you know, he's got the the, prophet, the Old Testament." And, um, and and then Jesus, uh, well, Jesus is telling stories, but I think Abraham in the story says, um, even if a man rises from the dead, they won't believe. Now, so if if that were to be said now, when Jesus w- rises from the dead, says you just don't get it yet, then that's that's a dangerous spot. But the fact that it's in Mark still gives us hope, because we know there's more more to come. And then we get into six, sixteen. Obviously, they do get it because they make that three-day journey to the Galilee to see Jesus. And we're here; it's the apostolic church. The apostles got it. So, okay. Um, the uh, we, we talked about a lot of different things. All right. Um, yes, Krista. The
1: Jews
0: today they didn't get it. Well, a lot of people don't get it. Not just the Jews. I mean. Yeah, I mean they're they're just like everybody else who doesn't get it. Um, the you know they might have a uh, you might say that they might have a you know a responsibility to get it because they have the Old Testament, um, and that's that's true. But at the same time, I mean there's people who are raised in the church who don't get it, so I mean it's there's a lot of people who don't get it. I don't get it, so. Okay, the um, the, the uh, uh, Mark Mark eighteen eight fourteen through twenty one, when Jesus talks to these disciples, the um, well, I mean, there's a lot of little fun little things that are interesting. Like, well, let's go back to the feeding story, for instance. I'm just going to throw these out because I always think they're interesting. Because I, I kind of like I kind of like sci-fi. Anything in, anything in the Bible that seems kind of like Mysterious or kind of like sci-fi-ish. I always always think about this. So, um, in those days, Jesus fed the feet. You know, it's a Mark one. It says, "In those days." What does that mean? In those days? I mean, just some time back then, or like, what does that mean? In those days, good old days. I don't know. Um, When when uh, Mark says this, he's he is telling us. That this is something that happened in real life, but at the same time, he's not—he's not like a uh, fact. He's not reporting facts. It's in those days. You remember those days. So it's—it it, it doesn't take it out of time, but it takes out of linear time. It, there, there's this—the this story is not just for back then. It's for all time. So it's like Doctor Who. Okay, back to the. And then the desert location. This this reminds us of the feeding of the 5,000. What kind of, what kind of desert is this place where you can feed people? But of course, you yeah, have the desert temptations, the feeding of the 5,000 in the desert. The desolate place uh, originally was the place where Satan hung, hung out, but now Jesus has conquered this and is now making this place of abundance. So, it's a peculiar, peculiar desert place. So I always, I always think that's interesting. Oh, the numbers too throughout this section. A lot of numbers: four thousand, five thousand, twelve, seven. Um, really, really, when you because um, four thousand is a number that there's so many different interpretations of this that you're like, well, what is it? I'm like, I don't know. Four thousand meaning um, makes reference to the four corners of the earth. So it's like a Gentile feeding story versus the Jewish feeding story in um, Mark six. Yeah, that could happen. that's probably that might be true. I don't know, but really the the numbers that are they most important are twelve and seven. So in uh, three, those should all kind of be like oh okay yeah right. Twelve it deals with the twelve tribes of Israel. The new the new this is the new Israel that Jesus is feeding, and then seven deals with creation right seven days of creation and so this is the new creation so jesus again is saying i'm fulfilling i'm I'm making the new israel and starting the new creation these are i mean these are just and of course it's been three days you know these people have been with jesus three days anything that happens on the third day is always like whoa that that's throughout the old testament and of course that is ultimately seen right in Easter after three days rising from the dead. So, you know, if you're kind of interested in those numbers, dealios. Um, okay. So let's, uh, we can keep rolling with this. Uh, oh, oh, someone asked this uh, too. So in this story now at the end of uh, verse 21, um, th- there's a good question about like what, is Je- what in the world is Jesus talking about? And I think this is something where the gospel writer actually inputs this, is that this section should build solidarity with us, the listener. Because you're kind of like, I can't blame the disciples for not getting it. So, um, you know, so so there's this part of, like, um, you know, we're kind of just as baffled as the disciples are. But, we're still in a better spot, though, because we know the whole story. I mean, the disciples in this part of the story, has, you know, they haven't gotten to the end yet. So, while well, we're kind of like, yeah, this is a weird passage. I mean, trees walking around? I mean, like, and then, like, you know, the leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod? Kind of like, what, what's going on? Um but but even though we might be in this kind of mysterious, kind of clouded state, um, when we build solidarity with the disciples, we also know the end of the story. So Jesus is taking this on this journey with uh, with us, where we're we're on this journey with Jesus, and as the disciples, so. Jesus is going to try to remove the leaven from their hearts. What is leaven, by the way? Leaven is the evil inclination. So you have the evil generation, and the leaven of the Pharisees. The Pharisees belong to this generation, the evil generation, and so the leaven of the Pharisees is the evil inclination of the Pharisees. And it's a really sign that they've been, they've been co-opted by Satan and, and, the, and the demons. This also goes back to unleavened bread. So you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. Unleavened Bread, um, you know, yeah, uh, you know, it's flat bread. But um, leaven kind of works itself into the whole, the whole loaf. And so Jesus is really like, hey, don't let, don't let this get inside you because it's going to work, work it in your whole life. What exactly is the you know evil inclination of of the Pharisees and Herod? I mean, it's hard heartedness. It's uh, everything we kind of talked about before. Is that it's hard heartedness? It's the idea that um, they have the authority to test Jesus because testing Jesus says we they ask questions to test him. The tester or the tempter is Satan, so they're acting like Satan. Um, and then the whole notion of like I. I I expect God to do what I want rather than putting myself in a place of discipleship, which goes then to the confession of St. Peter. So the leaven of the, uh, the Pharisees and in in Herod really, um, you know, the easiest way to say it is, as Pastor Brzezik has said, you know, don't touch evil. So um, so we get that in the Gospel of Mark. And I just see my notes. So this is actually another really good point to say because... Um, in Deuteronomy 29, 2 through 4, God has says that they don't, Israel does not see and not hear, but there will come a point in time where I will soften their hearts. I will, I will open up their eyes and I will open up their ears. And so when Jesus says not yet, it should throw an echo to this Deuteronomy passage. That oh, there will be a time when God will do this. Yeah, that's uh, so. That's the good news. That that the, not yet is actually a, a gospel word, which of course for most children is a you know terrible word. Not yet. Ah, when? All right. Um, so, so at the uh, end of verse 21, then we have this pivot. We have this new section now in the gospel, of Mark, that starts, uh, starts a new section. Things are going to start changing. Jesus no longer takes any boats anywhere. He just walks on foot, except for the donkey. But I guess he, the donkey walks on foot. Um, and there's this whole change in what, how Jesus does things, where the first part of the Mark, there's all these healings and exorcisms. Now in the second section, there's only three. Um, the one today from uh, from, uh, Mark chapter 8, the the blind man who sees trees and then gets healed completely. And then in Mark chapter 9, the epileptic boy. And then at the end of um, 10, you have the healing of blind Bartimaeus. And those three miracles then are attached to Jesus' predictions of him going to die and rise again. So that's important for us because the blindness... And understanding Jesus's words are connected. So Jesus, when he talks about being healed, so the man who's blind that's healed, it's not just physical blindness. Right? He's, he, Mark is telling these stories to reveal how um, physical blindness is a kind of a, a sign of spiritual blindness. So, yeah. So the, that's it's really important. Um, I think a lot of the stuff we already talked about yeah carol
1: thank you just answered my question which was is there a correlation between Lyman, who saw but wow well, this is a real world right and then saw clearly
0: Just talking to the disciples before that and
1: maybe
0: even after. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: And,
0: you know, there's a... that... Yeah,
1: this is... Not yet. Yeah, right. Hope, when I hear not yet,
0: there's hope, you know, it's very hopeful. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so all these things that happen afterwards where the disciples don't, don't either get it or are kind of unsuccessful because in Mark 9... Yeah, they they just they don't have it yet. In Mark 9 um the father who has the epileptic boy they they're, he's brought to Jesus because the disciples can't do it. They can't they can't heal him. So, this is another sign of how they don't quite get it yet. And they like, "Hey, we, we 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 treated this kid like everybody else that we have healed, you know, what's going on?" and Jesus then gets kind of like ay, aye, ay. again but that's next week. All right. So um we also see this in in Paul. Paul talks about seeing through the glass dimly. We see in in part now and then we'll we'll see as we have been seen. So again, these these are all themes that are happening in the Gospel of Mark and that's it's really important. So um we're in this intermediate stage about growth so the fact that you don't get it don't worry about it keep going and that's where Peter then when Jesus says get behind me Satan he's calling him to get back into a place of discipleship because that's where Peter belongs he in Mark 1 he was called as a disciple this is who he is this is where he belongs and then when he gets out of place Jesus tells him to get back um, yeah, the um, I already said yeah. Questions? I knew. I mean, we did everything. Got any questions about anything? I think we're done. This is great. Oh, I'm like done, done. Usually, I'm freaking out about not being finished. The um, yeah, taking up your cross and following Jesus. We'll uh, we'll get to that theme later. Well, maybe we won't. So, uh, well, sometime we will. Um, Mark 9 next week, uh, I think we have two more, right? Two more, so, uh, you know, just keep reading the rest of the Mark. I'm, I'm going to go tell, I mean, I would like to do Mark 9, but I'll, I'll tell Pastor Bukes he can choose whatever he wants, because, um, you know, Mark 10 is really, really interesting, too, and there's a lot of interesting things. We just got through the first half of Mark, so... Yes, Kathy? Uh,
1: I'm a question of off, the awesome. Okay. Uh, but, look, it's Jesus talking about, you know, that he's the bread of life. Yeah, right. Chapter 6 and John, that like just that long discourse. Yeah, right. Why did uh, the branches of the Protestants just right. drop the physical...
0: Yeah right. Well, that is a much longer story. Uh, There's a great book called "The" uh, by Herman Sasse on that. Um, the uh, the simple The simple question. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, I would say that. Well, I mean, Martin Luther was really. They let, rather than letting Scripture speak fully, they they let, uh, you could say, philosophy or their ra- rational rationality kind of. That's kind of, like the beginning of the enlightenment. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that might be stretching it a little bit, but the um, the whole point though is that, especially with uh, Zwingli, that character, the main character, in that his- historical story, says his big question is related to how can God be in something so small? Uh, because if God is infinite, so there has to be this, there's this paradox, of course. Now, in John Calvin, who, you know, Presbyterians come from, and he, he will say that people commune with Jesus, but um spiritually. So that's different than Zwingli. Zwingli said it's just a symbol, it's a remembrance, it's a it's a sign of discipleship. So there's nothing happening in it. But uh, John Calvin, which of course, is a different kind of branch of. Um, he would say that something does happen in Holy Communion. So he's different, but it's uh, it's a spiritual communion only, and not a physical communion. Where you know we say it's physically, Christ is physically present in with and under the bread. Uh, The other kind of interesting thing, too, about Lutheranism at this point, and which is where a lot of, like, uh, you know, the the Protestants, I don't like using that word about for us, because I don't feel like we're Protestant, but um, is Luther would say, so when Luther talks about the Lord's Supper, he keeps talking about the doctrine of Christ, of how both divine and human natures are in this one thing, and he says that's analogous—or I'm sorry—the Holy Communion is analogous to this, where you have it's bread and it's body, it's bread body, wine blood. And for people who don't like paradoxes, it has to be either or, and that's that's what Zwingli says. It, he says it can't be both; it has to be. And of course, he says it's a symbol. Well, that's why, that's why Luther's uh, Christology is so interesting. That's good, and that's why it's so interesting to read those debates. Because for Luther, this isn't about the sacraments. This is about who Jesus is. And he gets really upset about it. There's a very, you know, he gets, he gets like Jesus upset, like with Peter. That's how upset he gets about it with this Zwingli character. Kind of like he rebukes him. That's right, and so that's why it's it's a, it's more of a christological question, not just spirit, simply a sacramental question. The um, uh, yeah, but that's much longer. That's a, the other thing too would be a more of an exegetical question because do you use John to interpret Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or do you use Matthew, Mark, and Luke to interpret? I mean, there's this yeah. So let's pray.